everybody. Welcome to episode nine of our podcast, Innovating the Industrial World. My name is John King. I'm the CEO of Cross Company and your host. Uh, and I'm joined by my good friend, Brian Page, who was uh, also with us in episode six, uh, talking about all the neat things we're doing and improving quality in the flooring industry. You should go back and check it out because it's really cool. Um, Brian and I go way back in high school robotics. So why don't you introduce yourself uh, to all the listeners out there about what you're doing? Hi, I'm Brian Page. I am a senior integration engineer here at Cross in the automation group, specifically on the innovation team. Um, and we get the pleasure of working with a lot of measurement systems, a lot of new technology, including AI, which is what we want to talk about now. Yeah, a lot of testing and all kinds of cool stuff in terms of control. So we're going to talk about AI. And oh my gosh, what a huge subject that is. You can't hardly pick up Google or a newspaper or anything else without saying, oh, and AI is going to change the world, is going to change the world. So, but how's that going to happen? You know, that's a lot of theory. How do we put that into practice? So across, we're putting some things into practice uh, for our customers. We work in the industrial world in the manufacturing processes. And uh, a couple of things that we want to sort of be careful about, it. there's lots of areas of AI. Um, a lot of us have sat down, maybe not all, but a lot of us have sat down with uh, something in the world of generative AI, where we might be using ChatGPT and BARD and that kind of thing. This is not what we're talking about today. Um, it's very, it can be incredibly useful. Um, and have you know amazing innovations, but there's the more what we would refer to as the more traditional AI, um, where there are kind of three main ways that you can use traditional AI, especially in the industrial world. Um, so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. Um, so kind of breaking that down, you got generative AI, the ChatGPT thing, and then you have the traditional AI, where then traditional AI you might hear and think about things like predictive analytics uh, or predictive maintenance and things like that. You've got a conveyor belt running in, a, in an industrial environment and you're monitoring all types of things and you're gonna say, okay, when is that going to fail? Um, AI can help you do that. Uh, we talk about process control and, and uh, process optimization and we call it kind of the turning the dials on the dashboard. It's kind of like driving a car and imagine you're doing all the different things in a car to get the best possible gas mileage. That would be uh, the around process control and, and, and process optimization. But what we're gonna talk about is this third area, which is in really cool technologies going on right now, which is in image recognition and being able to recognize the presence or the absence of something um, because there's some amazing applications that can really help in the industrial world. So, with that, Brian, help us understand a little bit more about the image recognition and what, what, where we came from and where we're heading to in terms of image recognition and what we're doing. Well, I, you know, a thought just occurred to me, John, while you were giving that introduction, and that is when we go out to try to help a customer to a, a address a, a manufacturing or a process problem, what we recognize is everything starts with our eyes. We, we look at something that's being done and we talk to the customer and they say they have this defect coming by and an operator can sit or an associate can sit there and watch it go by and see there's a problem with that. That's not right. For decades, we've been using rules-based vision systems where we had to program exactly what it was looking for. So we had to know all of the possible failure modes, right. um, all of the issues that it could see, and hopefully we caught it all. But that's very prone to the precise uh, system that it was was programmed to. If a new problem came along or a new part came along, a whole bunch of programming again to, to, to accommodate all of that. 
Now with AI, what it allows you to do is kind of put the, the, the human approach in. Your parts are coming by. Now, instead of telling it what's wrong, we tell it what's right, or we tell it what configuration it should be looking for. You give it images of, of good, and then when something doesn't comply with those images, it decides it's bad. But it doesn't learn from the standpoint that we are, are all afraid of, you know, the machines taking over the world. Humans still need to be involved. The human has to tell it, yes, this is a good picture or this is a, a, a bad picture. For and we example. can consistently give that feedback. So Correct. In the past, so we, it's interesting, we talked a little bit about the, kind of what is the definite, there's lots of people will tell you innovation means a lot of different things. We would just say, it means there is a better way and our job is to find that better way and put that better way into practice. And where we were before, programming, if you see this, if then, if then, if then, mm -hmm. see a camera, if you see this here, say, okay, reject that. If you see this, reject that. The problem is something comes down that we haven't seen before. Oh my gosh, it let it go by. And now a customer, heaven forbid, has a part that they didn't want or is not conforming to spec. And we didn't see it, so we, okay, then now we have to reprogram things. So tell us a little bit about, tell us more about how the AI system works and how we set that up. Well, basically, again, as I mentioned, it all comes down to images. So we work with our customers to set up this a scenery of the proper location for a camera, lighting, even the, the type of camera, wavelengths, whether it's visible light or infrared light, things like that. Things that will see what a human could see. Mm -hmm. um, then it's just a matter of collecting images. So we would set this up sometimes in a in a production mode, or we walk in with a with a camera on an arm and, and, and do some proof of concepts, we collect images, we send those images to whatever AI system we're using. They all have model or brain builders. Every customer, every provider calls them something different. We feed them images and the good ones will take those images, process them, and then tell you how good it is at detecting it. So you can challenge it with good images, you can challenge it with bad images, or you can challenge it with different types of images if, if you're classifying. And we'll get into that in a minute because that's, that's pretty important in this. Um, so it's a matter of collecting those. Sometimes you get it right the first time, uh, the system has value, and we work on deploying. Other times we recognize that this could be a difficult situation. So the systems are set up to, um, as an example, sample uh, images and it, it'll um, categorize it for you. It'll sample good images and put them in a folder. It can sample what, what it was taught to be bad and put it in a folder. And then periodically you go back and you audit the system, you look at those and you say, that's exactly right. Then there's nothing you have to do. If any of those are incorrect, you simply put them into the correct category, feed that back to the model builder, and it corrects itself. So that's the learning part of this. But again, a, a human, um, an infrastructure is involved with that. So one way to think about that in terms of this idea around uh, finding a better way is that that's a heck of a better way than a programmer who needs a lot of technical knowledge and experience to be programming if then, if then, now we can just start categorizing things and saying, yeah, this was, you got this right, Mr. Cam Mr. AI system, mm -hmm. <laughs> and you got this one wrong, and that teaches it. 
Correct. Right. So that's arguably uh, just a significantly faster, better way of programming it, where the the manufacturer can say, "Okay, I've got. I don't have to have somebody um, who's a software engineer on staff to make this thing work." Sure. Well, and and a a classic example of that would be in the circuit board industry. If you have a circuit board with dozens, maybe hundreds of components, uh, you often have to zero in on your problem areas mm -hmm. and say, look for this device here um, in a rules-based world. In an AI world, you take 100 pictures of a good board, pass it through, train it, and then anything that comes by with a missing part or even an incorrect part, you know, the, the AI can flag that and, and call that uh, bad or an anomaly. So we can... So some of the systems that we're actually building now, and we'll talk about that in a second, about you know what we're actually putting into practice, some of the systems we're putting into practice now can be trained by literally the same person that might train an operator. Exactly. It does not have to be a software engineer. And that's the beauty of these systems. Uh, all of the, the AI systems we have available to us, uh, it's a wide range, everything from a, a simple camera with a, um, a brain of its own that you train all the way on up to software-based, um, more intricate systems with, with multiple inputs. At the end of the day, the user, um, all of these are user-friendly. The user, the customer, uh, can maintain and, and, frankly, even improve and enhance these on their own. Right, because those, pe those users are people in the manufacturing world. Uh, they're process engineers. Mm -hmm. They're uh, production managers and that type of thing. They're the ones who actually have to put this stuff into use. Yes, um, and they're experts at building their products. They're not necessarily right. experts at AI. That's kind of the whole point. You just have to be an expert at looking at an image and saying, "Yes, that's good," or "No, that isn't," or "That's an apple," or "That's an orange." Yeah. Um, you, well, you mentioned the categorization and yeah. then also the recognition. So let's talk a little bit about what 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 are the capabilities, or what okay. are the main? I should say capabilities. What are the main ways that we're using, especially vision-based AI systems? When you look at all of the commercialized AI systems available. They all have either specific capabilities or a wide range of capabilities, but they fall into three categories. The first one is anomaly. That's kind of what we've been talking about before, where you basically just train the, the AI uh, to recognize what's good, and anything that falls outside of those parameters, or parameters is an anomaly. But that's recognizing a defect. So that's recognizing anomaly, a oh, defect. That's a problem. Correct. Yeah, okay. uh, the second category is classification. Classification, and again, a classic example of that, which, which we, we demonstrate with the software that we have, is taking images of apples, oranges, and bananas, any context, on the vine, on the, uh, on the tree, on, you know, in a grocery store, in a restaurant, setting on a table. You take individual um, pictures of all of those categories, feed it to the brain, and now it can learn to recognize whether it's seeing an apple, an orange, or a banana. Uh, that would be a use of the, uh, the, the classification. In manufacturing, we would use that to um, perhaps recognize when a, uh, when a stream, a, a product stream is changing. And in fact, one of the um, projects we've discussed is using the classification AI on a pelletizing system mm -hmm. that's being fed by multiple production lines. So when you know the product's coming either randomly or they're packaging or palletizing an, an order, uh, the AI can recognize, oh, this is package A, this goes here, this so is package apples B. apples and bananas are different part numbers. And exactly. Like, oh, okay, I need to go into a different mode. Correct. 
yeah, that makes really good sense. Um, and one thing that's kind of interesting about uh, if you're ever interested in that, that classification side of things about how right now we would say orange, apples, and bananas. Okay, anybody can figure that out. You know, you can, uh, I should be able to teach a camera how to do that. Google this if you're uh, listeners, Google puppies versus muffins. It's really, really interesting in terms of the different cat, the different classifications that um, where you would see where a, where it may come down the line that an apple looks a lot like an orange, um, that type of thing. Right. Kind of cool. Um, so one thing we're doing is the recognizing a defect. So we want to talk a little bit about some of the systems. we. Have. How do we put that into practice? How do we actually make that work? That we can train uh, potentially an automated camera system to do something a little, uh, do kind of a very mundane job that we can put now a person to do something else. Um, we can have, this thing can be incredibly accurate. So let's, how, do, how do we make that work? The most successful workflow to make that work starts simply with interviewing the, the manufacturer, interviewing the customer, interviewing their, their associates and technicians, take a look at the, the, the site where they are, in most cases, currently inspecting if they are, or find a site where we could inspect if they're not, and talk specifically about known um, anomalies, known defects, with the caveat that we don't necessarily need to know that. The, the, the known defects are really just images that we collect to test our model. Okay. Uh, we would go there, we would set up uh, as, a, as a proof of concept. Mm -hmm. We'd either come in with a camera on a boom or just stand there with our cell phones and, and take videos and images. We come back to, to the desktop, we, we process through the software. The software will then give us a, a very quick first prediction. Of, of how successful it'll be. Following that then, it's, it's a matter of, of matching the, the, the scope of the project, the cost of the project to the ROI that the, the customer is looking for. Some customers say, you know, we, you know, we wanna do this iteratively. We wanna get most of our defects out here mm -hmm. because maybe downstream we have a better place of, of doing it after more, more work has been, been added to the, um, the part. So it, it's really a, um, an interactive exercise. Sometimes we can, you know, if it's a location that is uh, fairly mature in terms of the layout and setup, and maybe they already have a vision system there trying to do rules-based, we can collect images from their rules-based cameras. It, it's just a matter of starting with pictures. Again, if we can see it with our eyes right. and say, that's what we're looking for, in, in almost all cases, we can train the AI or to do the same thing. Or even seeing some things that are not, we can't see with our eyes. Correct. Red and, and things like that. Perfect example. And one of my favorite examples there, going back to the fruit again, um, if you take different wavelengths of light, um, near infrared, shortwave infrared, you start to see things that the human eye can't see. For example, you can look at a ro uh, an apple and it could look perfectly yummy and healthy look at it with a short wave and you can see the, the entire side you're looking at is bruised mm -hmm. and, and or rotten underneath the Which skin. Which is pretty remarkable when you think about that because that means we can have uh, we can have AI inspection systems being able to tell not just the categorization but whether the condition of it. Is it bruised, Correct. is it not bruised, that may not even be visible. Um, it's kind of cool. One of the things that I might 
suggest that we run into a lot, and we actually did a whole podcast on this in terms of robotics. Uh, it, they're easy to use, but they're not easy to create, not easy to, to put into practice. So we're talking about these things being very easy to use. We can train them. We don't. It doesn't have to be a software engineer to train it. Um, but how do we go about putting it together? So you mentioned software. You mentioned some cameras. You mentioned some other yes. things. Uh, what are some of the What are some of the pitfalls that we may that we run into in terms of putting these things into practice? It's going to be a spectrum. On on one end, where we're just using a a simple camera based system, uh, that literally just involves mounting it, uh, supporting it in some way in terms of uh, power supply, and a communication hub. Mm-hmm. Um, but in almost all cases, the uh, uh, the end goal is to get a signal from this system to the the, the customer's control system to get the image to the control or to, to, our system. to the camera. We make a decision. We give them a signal. This yeah. is on the simplest. We give them a signal. Go no go. Mm-hmm. They can either divert that product or they can stop their line to address uh, uh, the issue. Um, as the scope gets larger. Uh, and one of the place, places we really like going and, and we're very good at is we'll also include our own local computer mm-hmm. and our own local database, and we'll support the customer. Um, not everybody has an information system to back this up. So we'll take images. We'll take the results of tests. We can log that away with timestamps. So the customer has uh, production metrics, production rate, downtime, um, scrap rates, and depending on the AI model, they may even be able to get a, a Pareto or a list of the types of scraps. So that's on the other end, where we would provide a, a full turnkey system with the software. And again, understanding we don't want the customers to have to have their own you know, software engineers to support that. We build in the capability for them to, to configure uh in the context that suits their needs. So they can use it themselves and do yeah. the training themselves and that kind of thing. And you mentioned before, yeah, we can, uh, so you may need to, maybe the camera, you may need this, the whole software that does all of the recognition, you know, it takes the images, does the recognition and says, yeah, no, yes, this is good, this is not good. That's all very transactional, but then capturing all that data so that you can look at it over time, then we start bringing in some, some of the other areas of AI where we're talking about process optimization and Correct. making sure that we understand what's going on upstream of that so that we know what whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. The term I use on all of our products is once once you get to that upper level, and even if we're looking at a simple installation, we always want to make sure it's scalable. Mm-hmm. Because as we go out um, into industries and we help our customers solve problems, uh, if they're in a continuous improvement mode, we've solved their number one, number two, and maybe number three problem. Well, once those are solved, there's... Two to three more, they're going to come and replace that. Right. So, are we positioned correctly to be able to go and enhance, retrain, add to our our particular system or installation to now address the next um, situations and in essence grow with the customer's needs? So we have a pretty um, it's not necessarily unique, but we have a good example of where we're literally trying to find a needle in a haystack, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about this, again, putting putting all this theory about how AI is going to change the world uh, into practice. And we've got a situation, we've got a, a project where we've worked on, uh, where we're, as I call it, we're picking the needle out of the haystack. So we're trying to find artifacts, things that don't belong, right? In, in this case, I believe it's pet food, correct? Yes. 
So if, if you think about this, any, any food source, whether it's pet food, human food, or other, the, the industry is very mature when it comes to finding metals. Mm -hmm. Use simple metal detectors. You can pass your, your feedstock through a metal detector. You can find metal. Yeah. Most often when you hear on, on the news, large, you know, Company X had a large recall of canned or, or boxed whatever uh, because it has plastic contaminants. Plastics are very, very hard to find. Um, what we've, what, what we're working with now, and and we're we're becoming more and more successful, is the fact that plastic looks if if it's just mixed in with food with our eyes with with uh, a visible spectrum. Sometimes you can see it if it's an unusual color. Um, most often you can't, particularly if it's uh, clear plastic or something that matches the environment. So we've been working with AI software, but we've been working with different um, visual inputs. So that takes the sort of physical world and the software world and marrying them together yes. to make it happen. So we can throw different lights, infrared light, all kinds of different, essentially light, heat, that type of thing, and be able to see what comes back and then use the AI recognition. Exactly. And that's very exciting because that, that literally opened up the door for us. Um, most, you know, when, when you go out and you Google commercial sources of, of AI for your plant, you will see that, you know, it, it's a, usually a proprietary couple of a, a visible um, camera and then some output, some, mm -hmm. some measurement, some output. What we've been able to do um, and develop is the ability to create virtual cameras. So we're no longer tied to the physical camera world. We could actually take images from multiple cameras. We could even take image, we could create images from a data system. We could create a point cloud picture and wow. send that to AI. Uh, we can use thermal imaging. There, you know, the, it, it's wide open and it's very exciting. So now going back to one of your earlier questions, when we go into a, a customer to help them interpret, understand, define uh, their, their problem statement, we can work through those uh, different sources to, to get to an answer. That's awesome. And then they can put that into practice and make sure that things don't go out with something in them. And then they, what's interesting is that you can take that data over time and make it traceable. You know, mm -hmm. Okay, where did this lot come from? What supplier were we using? And now we can make sure that, hey, this supplier has extremely clean uh, raw ingredients and this supplier might not. So yes. um, that can be a really, really helpful thing if I'm a production manager or a process engineer. Really, really helps. There is one final category that we didn't mention okay. in AI, and that is the category called detection. Um, in detection, you train the AI to find some entity. Um, and the, the nice thing about that, unlike rules-based, where you give it a single image, mm -hmm. you say, find this image in this picture, and score it, and then you have to, you know you have to make a decision based on the score. You can train the detection to look at all of the possible permutations of that object. Maybe it's all different colors. Maybe it's slightly different shapes. An example would be, you know, picture gummy bears. You want to find gummy bears, but gummy bears are all different colors, and could be all different angles. Could be face down, face up, sideways. Uh, you can train the AI to find all of those um, permutations, now you can use that system 
to sort, to count. You can even, going back to previous podcasts, you combine that with robotics, you can use where the AI finds those as a means to guide the robot. Mm -hmm. So you could have a robot either pick all good products out of a out of a stream and, and containerize them, or only pick defects out of a stream and throw them in the trash. Right. So we're working with that as well, and that's exciting. Which is super exciting. I mean, that's where we talk about kind of AI. Can AI can change the world? Uh, certainly innovate the world, and innovate the world as in find a better way. Um, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Cool. Well, this is awesome, and I think what would we'll continue to be talking about this and lots of different other uh, practical examples about when and how we're using AI um, to help our, uh, to help the industrial world. So that concludes episode nine of innovate the industrial world. Uh, if you've liked what you've heard, then click like um, and subscribe so that you know the next time when episode 10 comes out. And also if you have any questions or comments, please put them in the comments below. We uh, monitor that and we'll get back to you right away. Brian, this is super cool. Really exciting stuff. It's always fun. Awesome. Thanks, folks.